0: Hello there and welcome to MA Fight Club. Yours truly, Manny G. We are talking about UFC Paris, UFC France, a.k.a. UFC Fight Night, Gone vs. Spivak Coming up this Saturday, set your alarm clocks again this weekend. It's going to be a little early. 12 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, 12 o'clock noon on the eastern seaboard for people like in Florida, New York, New Jersey, on down that eastern seaboard. But if you're over in California... You're going to be having mixed martial arts for breakfast, which is not the worst thing, but at 9 o'clock a.m. Eastern start time for those on the West Coast. And if you're in Hawaii, I don't know, 6 o'clock in the morning, something like that. But uh, so France is going to be the setting. Last week was Singapore. UFC making their way around uh, the globe, reminding people it is a global sport. The UFC is the biggest of the daddies when it comes to, you know, mixed martial arts promotions give you a full card breakdown each fight one fight at a time talk about some stats some tape analysis give you some details give you some betting spots we'll, we'll be considering the full tip sheet does not come out though until friday please subscribe to our newsletter so you can get that tip sheet and why we wait till friday is because some prop bets and some lines are just not available until later in the week and that's when we you know dish out our tip sheet for all the bets we'll be placing our official bets for ufc Paris but we'll give you some betting spots we like we'll talk about those some spots we don't like Uh, some favorites favorites I think you want to stay very clear of and I'm probably not alone there I haven't heard of me many cappers this week I've been a little busy haven't had a chance to listen to uh, my peers but I would imagine a few spots here just a little overblown and want to be careful with those but uh, as for last week Singapore we finished in the red no good no point oh so finished I think negative two or three units maybe I am misremembering. I listen I, if I'm not remembering, it's because we didn't finish really well. <laughs> but again, all of our stuff is tracked through our newsletter. You can see our tip sheet. And then after the event is over, we update our tip sheet and give like, you know, a, a X for the wrong bets and a check mark for the correct bets and give you a whole tabulated outcome of how we did plus money, minus money. I do know last week we did well on contender series uh, road to uh, UFC, which is over in China. And we also did well on Bellator. I'm sorry, Bellator, PFL. Without further ado, let's talk about UFC Paris. I like saying it that way because it kind of rhymes. The main event, of course, is Cyril Gahn, the French fighter against the Mondovin, uh, Mr. Sergei Spivak, recently married Sergei Spivak. He married Marina Nakina, right? The PFL fighter who won her playoff bout is now headed to the finals. So can it rub off on him? Will he win his bout too? We'll see. Anyway, we'll go to that fi- fight last. We'll get to that fight at the very end. We'll go each fight one fight at a time, starting with the prelim card, and then work our way all the way up there, little by little. And the first fight on the prelim card is going to feature two foreign fighters. Neither of them from France. Neither of them from the United States. But we do have a Brazilian. Uh, no surprise. Clayton Rodriguez, 8-2 overall, goes by KR. Those are his initials, you know, KR. Clayton Rodriguez against Fareed Basharat, the Afghani fighter who's Kind of splashed into the scene, him and his brother. They're both in UFC. They both came through Contender Series. We'll talk a little about that when we go over his profile. Abandoned weight, about 135 pounders. Before we get into the breakdown, we'll tell you that we do like Fareed Boshrat by decision. Though, I'll tell you what. Here's a line that doesn't make a lot of sense. And I would really encourage you, if you're going to be parlaying Boshrat minus 340, and you're super confident about it, is it okay if I just put a little bit of concern there for you and just give you a reason to maybe just at least double check on this first because when you look at the film, both guys are good. There's not much holes in their game. They're both young. And free Boshrot is, you know, winning fights, winning by decision. Not really like overblowing people, not necessarily like finishing people left and right. He's getting to decision against some okay competition. There's moments there where maybe you know he could be taken over. But at minus three forty, um yeah (laughs) the uh this is a little bit crazy. Let's talk numbers here for these guys. For Basharat, 10-0 overall, undefeated, minus, again, big favor here, minus 300 range. He's from Afghanistan, now based out of England, 26 years old, 5'8", highway to 71-inch reach, and trains now currently out of Extreme Couture, which is in Las Vegas, great gym, good training partners, good coaches, so on and so forth. For Clayton Rodriguez, the Brazilian, 8-2 overall, 4-1 his last five, from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, 27 years old to be 28 so these guys are the same age right late 20s 5 foot 6 for Clayton that could be accurate you know Tapology doesn't try to fool us here but sometimes their numbers are not accurate and so I'm thinking here these guys are about the same height and for reach for Basharat he has a little bit of a reach advantage here about fortress over Rodriguez <coughs> excuse me that I do agree with because with Basharat he does have very long arms if you've kind of watched him fight and for Rodriguez out of team Noguera as for notes in this fight here Again, predictions are going to be Fareed Bashoff by decision. These guys are very skilled. We're talking about you know, high level, good technique, hands come out, hands get right back up to their chin, uh, good cardio, good endurance. They're both in phenomenal shape. These guys are coming in there shredded. Whoever wins this fight, it's going to be valuable for them. It's going to be a step forward. Whoever loses, not a big step back. These guys are both quality fighters. They might see each other down the road again at some point, but a big win for whoever wins the fight. Now, other than a split decision loss to C.J. Vergara, right, for Clayton Rodriguez, he's been perfect over his past seven years. He's also never been finished. So for Rodriguez, he's durable, and one split decision loss against C.J. Vergara, who's a quality fighter. For Boshra, sizable favorite in his last two fights. Here's what I want to talk about. He went the distance in both those contests. When I say sizable, I think minus like 400, minus 350 one of those fights, and then minus maybe 200 the other fight. I say this because the market now, two fights where he was a sizable favorite one where he was sizable enough where he should have finished the fight went to decision and the market's now bringing him up even higher against a quality opponent maybe the best guy he's fought it seems as if the market's just the price is going up and up like the bubble bursting on the housing market where it's like it's gonna keep going up keep going up until something happens but i think at this point that bubble's about to burst not because he's not good not because free brush you know, a quack, none of those things. It's just, here's an opportunity for us from a betting standpoint to take advantage of a price that makes no sense. Now, for Rodriguez, he's more capable of matching Bashra on the mat that I think people are giving him credit for. Bashra's a decent striker and very good on the ground, too. But on the ground, so is good. Rodriguez. He's pretty good, too. Matter of fact, Rodriguez lands more strikes per minute according to stats. And he's also got more takedowns per fight according to stats. Now, these are just numbers. You don't win fights. Based upon stats, but just talking about just the numbers, theoretically, it looks like Rodriguez is a guy who should be like a pick 'em, not a guy who should be a huge underdog here. But, hey, listen, we all learn, right? We're with Bashrat, though, because of his wrestling ability. He's got good wrestling, good takedowns, quality win over talented Blackshear ba- ba- a few fights ago. Black, 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 So he did beat DeMond Blackshear, who we saw fight recently, good fighter, and that's a quality win. Now, all that said, we have to have some action here on Rodriguez. This price tag is just way too juicy. I'll find a way to the window. The betting spots here who some set or that makes some sense to me are over 1.5 rounds. These guys are very evenly matched. Neither one has ever been finished, so I see some distance here. The fight does go the full distance. Boshrod by decision because I do think pound for pound will make the better decisions. We'll get a few of those takedowns. I'm going to sprinkle those split decision props, too. Because you can see this fight going to decision and, and for a split. Look, all, all we need for a split is two things that could happen. One is obviously a point getting taken away. That can always lead to all kind of haywiredness on the scorecards. But shy of that, it's just one close round against with these two guys who probably go the full distance, and we can have any one of those three rounds be close. That's all we need for a split. So I will sprinkle split props when they come out. Hopefully they're not priced crazy. If you're not paying attention recently, the split props keep going down. The odds are bad. I mean, I saw a fight recently where it was plus, I think, 600 for one of the guys by split decision. That's really, that's bad return. Used to be like plus 1,000 across the board for just about every male fight for split decision props. And now the market's adjusted because we're having more and more splits. Anyway, let me not get on a tantrum. I digress here. If reed Boshrod by decision is the pick there in the first fight, we move on. Next fight in the car is going to be Anj at minus 185 against Ria's McKee. Ria's McKee? Ria's McKee? It's R-H-Y-S kind of doesn't roll off my tongue. But Mr. McKee is plus 155, well, to be about 170 pounders. We do like Anj Lusa by decision. That is our pick. Now, let me give you guys the particulars on these two fighters. And again, two foreign fighters, neither one from France and neither one from the United States. Mr. Anj who goes by the last ninja, 9 and 3 overall. 3 to 2 in his last 5 from Switzerland. 29 years old. 5 foot 10 height. So about 3 inches height difference between the two. McKee is the taller of the two fighters. And again, 78, range for, 78 inch reach for McKee and 74 for Lusa. So at range, you know, McKee will be like the giraffe. Very long, very tall. Should be able to land a few strikes at range that Angelusa could, you know, get in theory. For Lusa, it trains out of a gym you may have heard of. Kill Cliff FC. I mean, look, All the fighters in Cliff FC, they're not all winning every single fight. But, man, what a a warehouse of guys that's just you know good coaching, good competition, good partners. So you do like that for Angelusa. For Mr. McKee, goes by Skeletor. That's a good nickname. This guy's very tall. He's not skinny, but he's very tall and lean. 13-4-1 overall, 3-2 in his last five. From Ireland, not too far from home. He'll be, you know, well, neither is Switzerland, too. These guys are both not too far from home. 27 years old, 11 months, about to be 28. First 29 for Lusa. These guys are both late 20s. And again, 6'2 for McKee. 78-inch reach out of next generation MMA. Good gym. Okay. My notes of these two fighters. So again, we like Angelusa by decision. A fight that we didn't come to a conclusion with easily. Uh, I'm not sitting here saying I'm putting a bunch of money behind Lusa at minus 185 and I'm parlaying him. I am not saying that, okay? Lusa has good durability though. Strong cardio. I'll say this. For a guy who's pretty jacked, you know, good muscles and stuff, he doesn't, like, gas out like some of those guys will do. I mean, he has, he has moments. He's a little fatigued. They all do. But not like those prototypical guys who, like, bodybuilder come in there and, like, have 30 seconds of cardio. Not like that. Just about all of his fights go the distance. He went pro 10 years ago. During that time, he only fought 12 times. So 10-year pro career, 12 fights, not very busy. They're both high-volume strikers. These guys both put a lot of output out same time they both absorb too many punches lusa absorbs 7.47 strikes per minute that's a lot of strikes mckee (laughs) 11.9 now granted we're talking small sample size for mckee that was two fights that he had in the ufc a minute ago and one of them was against the killer kamzat chemaev so these numbers are skewed but point of fact is they're both absorbing too much they're both absorbing more than they're putting out at least in the ufc you know uh sphere It'll benefit Lusa to mix in at least one or two takedowns to keep McKee on his toes. He does have a takedown per fight, Lusa, that's what he averages. And in this fight like this, where it's close round, maybe a takedown at the you know one-minute mark left to go in the round, some top control, that could be clutch. For McKee, not much of a wrestler, very long body, kind of, you know, again, lean, he can't have a hard time getting back up. A 15-minute striking battle could go either way. That's where it's like a coin flip. You got re- you- McKee's got the range, right? He wants to be at distance, longer arms. If he has more volume, gets the crowd going, he wins the fight. If Lusa lands a few more hard strikes, maybe buckles McKee or something, does some damage, gets a cut, then he wins the fight. But at range, it's a toss-up. I feel like, again, the easier path to victory for Lusa is mixing some takedowns. Lusa's been to six straight decisions. His last finish was in 2016. So again, not An active finisher is Mr. Lusa. As for McKee, this battle marked the beginning of his second tour of duty. Yes, he was in UFC before. He had two fights, a knockout, decision loss, and then he was sent packing. Now, he went back to Cage Warriors, picked up three straight wins in a row, and now getting his opportunity back to UFC. Now, look, if you don't know, Cage Warriors is more or less like junior college for UFC. I'm not saying that in a bad way if you don't know what junior college means, but uh, the reference is basically like the minor leagues, right? They're the, they're a buildup organization like Invicta. It shocks me how many fighters who are female fighters because it's a female organization end up in the UFC who come out of Invicta because it's, you know, it's a stable for, you know, for getting prospects together. UFC has arrangements with these different organizations. And so cage words, he goes back over there for McKee, gets three straight wins. Okay. Looks pretty good. And now he's coming back. Very tall fighter, long arms. Good jab. Very durable for the bulk of his career. I don't count the Kamzat Shamayav loss against him. Yeah, I just don't. (laughs) Now, from an experience perspective, McKee has more than double the amount of fights as Lusa. And again, Lusa being a 10 year pro, you're like, oh, I've been a pro for a long time, but 12 total fights, right? This guy, McKee, not only has a lot of pro, not a lot, but a good amount of pro fights, but also had amateur experience as well. So again, more than double the amount of fights as Lusa. Now, one of our concerns for McKee is this his hands are often super low, you know, and I'll give you an example. Alex Pereira. Now, Pereira is, he's elite. So elite people can do things. You know, I, I learned this a long time ago coaching football. A good coach once told me, like, listen, you're going to coach technique, whatever position coach you are. Right? You coach technique. If you're a DB's coach, you know, the back backpedaling and the hips and everything. If you're offensive line coach, it's, you know, flat feet, duck walking. Every position coach has their things they're focused on. They're, you know, there are certain, you know, certain terminology they're using. And then once you get to a certain level, like now we've gone through college, now we're professional type of thing, the professional guys will do things that you don't really want a kid to do or a younger younger athlete to do because it's bad, really, technique per se. But it works for them because at that level, they have sharpened all their skills. They've fine-tuned something that works for them. And so what I'm saying here um, in, in the case of, uh, of fighters, they tend to go through that, right? Look go to that process of like, well, you know, I got to fine-tune my skills. I've got to get better at things. But ultimately, you find your own technique. You find what you're really good at. You know what I mean? I don't know why I got onto that. But I got off on a tantrum. The point is, you know, as you evolve as an athlete, you can't compare what the elite guys are doing compared to what the, you know, the, the guys who are at a lower level are doing. Anyway, back to my, uh, back to my, uh, <laughs> my stuff here, at McKee. So his hands are low. That was what I – that's what it was. His hands are low. I compare him to Pereira because Pereira, he does that too. But Alex Pereira is, you know, a former champion, and he can knock people out with one punch, and he can take a punch for the most part. So you, you can't compare him to a guy like that, but I would say this, the, the 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 physique, the posture, a little similar. He gets tired, got those long-ass arms, hands come down lower and lower, chin's kind of right up there, leaves him wide open for just a simple jab. Now, moreover, his head movement, not great. Long-neck-ass dude with not good head movement. If Lusa were to, you know, land a few good punches, I could see him clipping McKee and, and putting McKee down. Now, it's no wonder, though, 11.9 strikes per minute is what he's absorbing. <laughs> That's why he lost his two fights in the UFC. He was absorbing too many punches. Can he change the narrative there? Can he, you know, get things going a different direction? We'll see here. If he can win the volume battle, McKee, that is, and avoid takedowns, got a legit shot here. No question. Avoid takedowns, or if anything, avoid takedowns for two rounds, Land more punches, he could win. Over 1.5 rounds. Fight does not go the full distance. Uh, I'm sorry. F- fight goes the full distance. Correction. Over 1.5. Fight goes the full distance. McKee by submission. And both fighters by split. A lot of fighters, a lot of fights in this card, I think, have the pre- or potential, I'm sorry, to go to a split. Um, and this is one of them. Excuse me, guys, I have a little bit of sniffly nose. So I will be spreading this props here on the splits when they do come out. Next up, we have a bantamweight bout. Two females, 135 pounders. Nora Cornelli, the French fighter against Johnson Edwards, who hails from Panama. Before I get to their details, I'll tell you that we do like Nora Cornelli by decision. That is our prediction with a lot of trepidation because there's a lot of issues with this fight. Nora's coming in here as UFC debutante. She's older. Johnson Edwards, you know, doesn't look great all the time, but does have some experience. And so at minus 110, appropriate both sides. These two fighters are even money. I want to find a side. I'm going with Nora, but uh, with, again, very low confidence. The details. Nora is 6-1 and one overall, 5 and one in her last five. From France, she'll be the home fighter, getting the hometown love. 34 years old, 5'7 out of free fight academy. For Miss Edwards, who goes by La Pantera, 13-4 overall, 3-2 in her last five. A little more experience, about double the amount of pro experience. About to be 28, so she is very young. That's one of the things that kind of surprised me. I thought of her as being like, I don't know, just... Not that she looks older. I just thought of her as being older. But 28 years old, about to be. 70-inch reach, 5'8 height out of Kings MMA. And uh, a slight reach advantage maybe for her and a slight height advantage over Nora. Who likes to grapple. We'll talk about that in a second. All right. So Bantamweight bout. We like Nora by decision. For Nora, enters this bout on a six-fight winning streak. So she's been hot. Does a nice job of landing elbows and knees in a clinch. So she does an excellent job in, in close distance. So at range, you know, striking a little bit raw. But up close and personal, chest to chest, against defense, whether she's got her back there or pushing her opponent, does an excellent job there. Her resume includes finishes in all six of her wins, so you do like the high finish rate. Four of those were in round one, so she wastes no time, gets right to work. And again, a female, 135 pounds, that's impressive. The combined record of the fighters, though, that she's defeated. (laughs) Here we go. Who is she beating? That combined record is 27 and 22, so that is above 500. I mean, not a lot above 500, but it's above 500. So her wins are against average, right? 500 level fighters on the regional scene. That's who she's beating. Now, her takedown defense also could use some improvement. Not that it'll be a big issue here because John's not much of a wrestler, but against better wrestlers, Nora might have a problem, of, especially against trips. So if you look at her film, she can get tossed and tripped. It happens pretty easily. And at times you're like, damn, for a girl who's pretty good on the ground, why can't she defend these you know, most basic of trips? Again, don't see it being a problem against Jocelyn. Because even if Jocelyn got her, like tripped her down, she might not even engage her. Or if she did, she would engage her and then maybe get back up at some point. Um, Grappling. That's where it's interesting. So Nora has finishes on her resume. She's got submissions. She's pretty good offensively with her jiu-jitsu. But there's tons of holes in her game. And she leaves herself open for so many counters. It has not caught up to her yet because she's on the regional scene. 27 and 22 combined record of the fighters she's fighting against. You get away with that shit down there. But ultimately, as she moves up in competition, now she's moving up in competition, those grappling maneuvers, it's just not going to be that easy against fighters that are more skilled. Like, what she's pulling off down there ain't going to work, for example, against Jocelyn Edwards, in my humble opinion. Now, fortunately, again, for her, Nora, that is, Jocelyn's not much of an offensive grappler, but she does have some decent defensive skills for grappling, at least against someone who's average level like Nora. Nora needs this fight to be up close and personal against the fence or on the ground to be effective at range. Edwards is faster, sharper, quicker, and I believe will frustrate Nora because of the foot movement of Jocelyn encircling her. Now for Edwards, looking for her fourth win in a row. Not so bad recently, coming off back-to-back weight misses, though. That's not good. And back-to-back split decisions. Talk about winning by the like the narrowest of margins, like you get a weight miss because you came in overweight. Eh, that's not good. You're kind of cheating. Then you go ahead and win the fight by a split like, oh man, in another universe, she could have lost both those fights, just saying. Her last six fights have gone to decision. She's not earned a finish in the UFC. Her entire UFC career wins or losses, no finishes. Now between her lack of punching power and a lack of submission skills, right, no submissions, most of her fights end up going to judges. Now, continuously going to the scorecards, going to close decisions, it's bound to catch up with her. No question about that. Not to mention missing weight. If she misses weight again this weekend, I, I would say win or lose, probably gets cut. Another thing, too, is it's going to be in France, her opponent from France. If this mother is very close, it could be swayed by the audience. They could cheer just loud enough for the French fighter to get it. I thought about this. I, you know, maybe I just can't get out of my head that, nora has fought literally nobody she's in her mid-30s and we have a, a late 20s fighter who has fought in the ufc who has won, win, wins in ufc i mean not the biggest ones but has proven she belongs here i just think jocelyn right here is probably the side you want to be on if you're going to bet the money line some better spots in the money line though i would think are the over 1.5 rounds which will probably be chalky as all you know but you know what you can parlay it fight starts round number three Corneli by decision and then it split props again. Here we go—a female fight that has all the makings of going to the scorecards. That's factor number one. Uh, two fighters who have no finishing ability get part of that factor number one. But the second big factor is that we have fighter in uh, Edwards who's been back to back split decisions. Uh, we see this fighters who have a propensity to go into close decisions. And we're going to be in France, and who knows? Maybe Edwards does win two rounds, but the you know the French contingent convinces the judge one judge or two. Otherwise, we get a split. So. Some things to think about in that fight, but I don't have a strong play the way on who wins outright. I'm going to go with Nora Cornelli by decision, but uh, I'll tell you what, man. I think Edwards, I'm torn. I just gave a whole breakdown saying that I'm I'm going to go with with uh, Nora initially, and then I'm back with Jocelyn. The official pick, the official pick is going to be Nora by decision. I believe the audience plays a factor. It's going to be super tight, but Edwards has more experience. She is younger. She probably should win. Moving up the card, we stay with the women. Zara Faron Dos Santos. Long name versus Jacqueline Calvacanti Calvacanti who's making her UFC debut against Zara Faron, who, if you've watched her fight, she has a way of being a little lackluster at times. But before we get into that, I'll give you guys my pick. I do like Zara Faron Dos Santos by decision. Yes, 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 hold the presses here. Plus 295 jack and calvacanti 375 let me explain you something okay let me explain you something these debutantes coming in here at minus 370 minus 400 The loco man this shit's crazy it doesn't make any sense i don't care how bad Zaren fan dos santos the third macarena however her name was to be said look you can't have a fighter coming in i don't care it doesn't matter i don't care if Cavanti's 15 and 0 has a finish in the first 10 seconds of every fight the minute you look at the competition and it says what somewhat you can't even pronounce it some promotion down in the backwoods somewhere that means she's fighting people like you and me <laughs> off the street and i'm not kidding look at these records oh and one oh and two people that just boom i'm just saying off the top of my head i'm not saying jack and fought them but these type of people that come out of here these big ass favorites so for Zaren Farrin dos Santos, I'm going to talk about her weaknesses. I'm going to go over those things. But Jacqueline Calvacanti, this is a full on trap. God bless her. Hope she does well here. We'll talk about it in more detail. But give me Zaren Farrin dos Santos at plus 295 to pull off some craziness. And by the way, for Zaren Farrin so dos Santos, she might have the dos Santos name and might have Brazilian you know, pedigree, but she's based out of France. So she will have the French contingent behind her, the second French fighter on the card, back to back females. One of these two females is probably gonna win, right? Maybe both of them do. <laughs> you know, we'll see. All right, as for details, Bantamweight Way 135 pounders, Jacqueline Cavacanti 5-1 overall, 4-1 her last five. Out of Portugal, how many fighters do we see from Portugal? So she's not too far from home either, right? Portugal's not that far from France. 26 years old, and she's out of reborn fight team, five foot nine in height, no reach number on her. As for Fairn, goes by infinite, six and five overall not a great record three and two in her last five i'm sorry two and three in her last five so her last five on in she's below 500 she's based out of france that's a good thing she's gonna be 40 in a few months that's not a good thing Woo-hoo, major red flag there 39 26 yeah so the 26 year old for Calvacanti is approaching her prime years athletically fighting wise everything else and you've got sarah Farron, who doesn't fight very often approaching retirement <clears throat> so we have to say that five foot eight for Farron, five foot nine for calvacanti I contest that that's probably not accurate. I think Zara Farron will be slightly taller. Uh, at least she stands taller when they fight. Seventy-three inch reach for Zara fan. No reach number here for Calvacanti and for Zara fan at a Fight Move Academy. On to my notes here. Again, Zara Farron dos Santos by decision is the pick. This prediction is more about fading the unproven newcomer than jumping onto the side of Farron. I've already kind of laid it out to you guys, and I'm really concerned about the newcomer, and I do have my doubts about Farron. Let's talk about Calvacanti first. She should not be this big favorite against anybody. So if it wasn't even Dos Santos, any, give me the, the weakest, Mandy Bohm, if she was available, the weakest UFC fighter, and you throw Calvicante in there, and Calvacanti still shouldn't be a huge favorite like this. So that's the first thing. She's inexperienced, a newcomer with no quality wins. (laughs) Go back last year, just a year ago. She lost to Marina, I'm sorry, Martina Jindrova in the PFL. To give you a synopsis of who Martina Jindrova is, she's a 6-5 overall fighter, super-duper average, currently on a three-fight losing streak. She's the bottom of the bucket in the PFL, doesn't make the PFL playoffs. And the last three wins for Jindrova, her last three wins of her career, she's 6-5, and right? Vanessa Mello, Faze Elanova, oh, my gosh. This girl, they brought her in PFL last year for, like, a weekend or two and just got – she was some old Asian woman who just had no business out of here fighting in the PFL, just needed a body. And the last one, Cavaconti, the last three wins for Martina Jandrova, Vanessa Mello – Lenova and Calvacanti. No one wants to be in that sentence. That's the sentence Calvacanti's in, though. And put this back in perspective against Martina Djendrova, Calvacanti almost got knocked out in the second round. Go look it up. It's on YouTube. You'll see it. She gets buckled, she gets sat down, and everything. Jindrova don't got no power like that. Djendrova had her busted up and almost finished in round number two. So, You look back at that, which is just a year ago. That's not five years ago. That's not four years ago. Like the months, 12 months, 11 months ago this happened. How in the world is a fighter who struggled against Martina Gendrova last year this big of a favorite against anybody? It makes no sense, actually, at all. And look, if now this girl Cavacanti goes on and wins the fight, there'll be some people say, oh, dude, see, it doesn't matter. She won. That's all that matters. Look, I'm telling you. From experience, this line is outrageous. It doesn't have anything to back it up. Like, Cavacotti doesn't have, like, a win as an amateur over, like, I don't know, somebody notable. Or went to a close fight against somebody who's notable. doesn't have that. Like, she lost to Martina Jindrova. Unless Farron, right? I thought about this before. A little tinfoil hat here. Unless Farron has, like, an injury that we're not aware of. And I say we like nobody, right? We're not aware of it. You're not aware of it. These things do happen. Things happen behind the scenes that we're not privy to. They affect the line. And so maybe Farron, who is old, you know, older to 39, that 39 is an injury, right? but maybe she's had injury or some type of extenuating circumstance. But barring that is a damn trap. Cavacanti lacks punching power, fights exclusively on the feet, she does have a finisher too, on the ground where she like mounted somebody, but they were like a terrible grappler and the person was hurt. But she does not fight usually on the ground, usually on the feet only. If she doesn't have a clear cut, big, like striking moment, like a knockdown or something, I think she could be in danger of falling behind on the scorecard. She's not like a high volume striker. Her striking's eh. The crowd's gonna be going wild for anything that Farin does. Like if Farin dos Santos throws a kick that misses, whoa. You know what I mean? Like The judge is going to be like, oh, did did that land? I don't know. By the way, Conti is the replacement fighter here. Conti was not supposed to be making her UFC debut. She she had not qualified to make that debut yet, according to the matchmakers, but we had a need for a new fighter to come in for replacement, and she was called up. Farron was originally supposed to fight Haley Cowan. By the way, Haley Cowan, man, what an opportunity. Haley Cowan could have easily beaten this girl Farron and got an easy W. Unfortunately, she sustained an elbow injury, She's trying to recover right now. There's some videos of her on Instagram doing her whole recovery at the um, UFC PI. All right. As for Farron, exclusively a kickboxer, that's her style, no ground game, averages 5.85 strikes per minute while absorbing 6.74. That's not good. Her lack of punching power and non-existent ground game makes her a very one-dimensional decisionator. She goes to decision all the time. If she does win, more than likely by decision. She was finished in two of her last three fights, so durability is a bit of a concern for her. She's winless in the UFC and hasn't had her hand raised in six years. Whoa, 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 whoa. Maybe that's why the line's so so wide. Not to mention, she's, yeah, a lot older. I mean, over a decade older than her opponent, and uh, that's not good. At 36 years old, oh, 36 I have here? She's older than 36. I have 36 in my notes. 39 at 39 years old i put 36 here i was being nice to her. 39 years old aging fighter on the way out better days in the rear view for sure in essence she's fighting for her last fight probably for the ufc if she loses this fight they let her go that's the end of the run for her right but win or lose she still might retire like even if she wins the fight i mean what does she have to offer right she's an older fighter and if you're uh Cavalcanti, you don't want to lose this fight to this old lady right the home court advantage is on the side, though, of Fair. UFC experience on the side of Fair. Adishi Calvacanti has struggled with low level fighters like Martina Gendrova and her last fight, Melissa Croden. Croden's like four and two, and Calvacanti won by decision over her. Like, these are barely, uh, you know, not good fighters. If Calvacanti couldn't cut it just last year in the PFL, couldn't beat one of their weakest fighters, it almost got knocked out of her. I'm just, you know, I'm calling BS here. This line doesn't make any sense. I'm going to go the other way. I'm giving this girl a fairness chance here for Calvacanti. Prove me wrong. Get in here, get in the UFC, get your first win, and, and you go, girl. But until I see it from her against a fighter who's in the UFC, I'm fading these debutantes. The betting spots here I like are the fight starts round number three, fight goes the full distance, and both fighters buy split decision again because here we have a female fight prone to go to decision. These four fights in the card are going to be all. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not no Nostradamus, but they have the they have the potential to all be close, and two of them are female bouts. You know, so we can have just a greasy, ugly French baguette decision because it's a French fighter. Who knows? I don't know foreign judging and the whole. You know, who knows? I've got my tinfoil hat on fully here, but uh, give me the underdog here. Zarin Fanto Santos at plus two ninety five. Prove me right, sister. Next up, featherweight bout, 145 pounders, Morgan Shadir versus Manolo Zecchini. Zecchini coming over from Italy, and Mr. Morgan is from France, the home fighter. Before I give you guys the breakdown, I'll tell you that we do like Morgan Shadir by decision. Minus 305. I even like him there as a parlay piece against Manolo Zecchini Zaccini, I'm sorry, at plus 245. I can't say Zecchini without thinking about like linguini, fettuccine. I love me some Italian food. Morgan Shadier, the French fighter by decision is the prediction, a guy who fought over in cage wars. We'll talk about that in a moment. Featherweight bout, 145-pounders. Morgan Shadier, who goes by the last pirate, 18-9-1 and one overall, 3-2 in his last five, 27 years young, about to be 28 soon, about a month or two, Five foot seven, out of Team Chapa Quinte. Out of Manolo, as for Manolo Zaccini, excuse me, he is 11-3 overall, 4-1 in his last five, from Italy, 26 years old, about the same age. About the same height at eight, Trades out of Jackson, Wink, MMA, and also Fighters Angels. So some good gyms here for these guys. Some experience on both sides, right? These guys have been around the block a little bit, not their first rodeo. As for our breakdown, I'll tell you right now that both these guys are making their UFC debut. That's the first thing. So I can't fade one because of that. They're both making their debut. So what's next? How do I separate these two? How do I split hairs? Then I go to their who they've been fighting for, what promotion. And that's where I start to lean towards Morgan Sharir because... He comes in here with more Cage Wars experience. They both have Cage Warriors experience, but a lot more for Morgan. And for Manolo Zucchini. he fought one fight in Cage Warriors and he lost that fight. Okay. Now, based upon stats alone, you can understand why, why the market's set here for sure. He's fought more quality competition. He looks pretty good on film. He can go the f- he's been five rounds. That's pretty cool. You know he's got the Carter to go five full rounds. And a guy like him, who's pretty strong looking, you kind of worry about, well, is Carter get zapped? So you do like that about him. Zaccini is an aggressive fighter that likes to put opponents away early. If he can get a finish here in the first round, man, his stock will rise. I mean, this this will be great for him. That's his most likely path to victory. But we're going to lean here with Sharir because he's proved that he can hang with guys that are pretty good, gets to rounds two and three, keeps up good volume, balance fighter. He can do some grappling, can do some striking. I believe punches hard here than Manolo. And again, I want to unwind this. He's a guy who has fought much better competition. So, now, for Sharir, he's overpriced a little bit. I will say that. is not a complete trash bag. and maybe 305 is pushing it. It's a parlay piece for me here, but I feel better looking at some props here. For example, over 1.5 rounds, the fight goes to distance. We'll sprinkle the split decision props again. This fight has the makings of going to decision. Both guys have been very durable. Both guys have good chins. They're pretty, far, smart, pretty smart fighters. In the case of Manolo, has more to prove, but I'm not. Surprise at all with the full distance and i'm not surprised at all if it gets really close but the hometown fighter morgan sharir is going to get a lot of noise from the crowd looks pretty good did really good in cage wars recently so i like him here to win the fight by decision again betting spots here over 1.5 rounds fight just go goes the full distance i'm sorry and sprinkling the decision split decision props on both sides for both fighters Moving up the prelim card, next fight is going to be Giannis Gamori versus Kalin Laran. I might be pronouncing those names names incorrectly. I apologize. But again, that's Giannis Gamori versus Callin Laran. Prelim bout, it's going to be a 135 pound bout, band of weight division. Before I get to the breakdown, I'll tell you right now that I do like Callin Laran to win by knockout in round number two. That is my prediction. Lauren is currently at minus 305. And Gorimi is at plus 245. I'm pronouncing, again, those names wrong. I apologize. But Giannis Gamiri, plus 245. Callen Loren at minus 305. Pretty big favorite there for, again, more debutantes here. More new fighters coming into the UFC. <clears throat> for Giannis, goes with the Desert Warrior, 12-1 overall. 5 0 in his last five. He is from Lyon, France, 28 years old. 5 nine out of Climax Fight Academy. So Mr. Giannis will be the hometown kid. Callen Loren goes with the Don. 8-0 overall, 5-0 in oh, his last five, obviously, from Ireland, not too far from home, 27 years old, so about the same age, 5'6". That makes sense. He's a bit of a shorter fighter, and if you look at Phil Manianas, a bit longer, and he also stands pretty tall, too, so 5'6", compared to 5'9", and for Callan Liver, he trains out of Team Caliban Liverpool. Okay, as for our notes in this fight here, Callan by round two knockout. We'll tell you how we get there. So Callan cut his teeth in Cage Warriors, where he won a bandweight title in his last fight. It was a matter of time before we get the call to UFC. We talked before about how Cage Wars is more or less a feeder system to the UFC. Loran throws powerful right hands that are set up by nice left-handed jabs. Though he prefers to operate in the feet, he does have a good ground game. He has ground finishes as well. He has a few submissions on his resume along with some ground and pound finishes. For Loran, his amateur experience along with his four straight wins in Cage Wars, I think sets him up well here. Matter of fact, his amateur experience also included some like Cage Wars Academy stuff. So kind of been with Cage Wars now for a little while. The one area he could use improvement on is his head movement. At times, he can eat a few unnecessary power punches during exchanges. Like he'll just do like a lean back thing, and it's like a little more head movement could do him uh some good. Otherwise, though, the guy is super well-rounded. Seems like this is the perfect opportunity for him. He's ready for it. And I think he gets into the UFC and, and well, he's gonna be in the UFC, obviously, but I think he's gonna actually do a few good things here, but a few good fights. And then we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But a high ceiling here for Giannis from France hasn't, you know. <laughs> He's on a nine-fight winning streak. You do like that, right? Include wins in UAE and Brave CF, but not quite, like, again, cage warriors material. Much like Loran, he prefers to operate at range, on his feet, use leg kicks, use jabs to set up combinations. His leg kicks, some pretty powerful kicks to the not only just the lower leg, but also to the thigh area. His hands, though, man, his hands are low. And uh, I watched a few fights of him where, like, by the end of the first round, his hands are by his hips, and he's trying to do, like, some, you know, Stevie Thompson stuff, and it's not because it's his style. He's getting tired and his hands get lower and lower. That's a problem because Callan Loran, if you watch this guy fight, he's a bit of a Tasmanian devil and he's going to keep coming forward. Pressure, pace, heavy footed. And if Giannis can't keep his hands up, he's going to get himself in trouble. That's what we think. There could be a knockout at some point because Callan, who's a balanced fighter, doesn't do anything amazing yet. He's still a young fighter. Can grapple a little bit, can strike with you, but man, he hits with bad intentions. He's got some finishes obviously because of that. So, I, I do think at some point, you know, we could see some damage here. Now, that'll be something to consider here. Gamori, <laughs> Giannis Gamori, went to split decision in two of his last four fights. Here we go with more split stuff. So, going to close decisions for Giannis, splits against regional fighters, and now you're going to face a guy like Callum L- Loren, who's basically been kind of, you know, groomed the last four or five years to get to this point to get in the UFC. I just think, yeah. Different levels of competition they've been seeing. And for Giannis, this will be a big step up. Lorin has had multiple... I'm sorry. Lorin has multiple advantages here. He's quicker, hits harder, and has better striking defense. The betting spots fight starts round number two. I do think we get through the first round. Lorin into the distance, and Lorin is a parlay piece. So we're very high here on Lorin. a matter of fact, I think Callan and Loren may be our most confident pick on the card. It's also the first fight on the main card, by the way. So Giannis Gamori at plus 245. Versus Callan Loren is the first fight on the main card. And we move forward here. Vulcan Otismir, minus 185, versus Bogdan Goskov, who's also making his UFC debut. Bogdan Goskov at plus 155. But Vulcan Otismir, a guy who's been around for a minute. You see his age? He's 33. You're like, whoa, I just assumed this guy was so much older, but uh, he's been around the block. We'll talk about that in a second. But Vulcan Otismir by knockout in round one, that is our prediction. I'm going with uh, the veteran here, Otismir, to Get himself in the win column. I know some people are on the the, uh, the, the debutant. I get it. I I even understand some of the rationale behind it, and especially if you're looking at the recent record for Volk and, and you and know, the losses and yeah, you know, I, I get it. But Volk and Oldsmuir is a bit of a veteran, and we'll talk about that in a second and why that kind of has swayed my decision here. So a light heavyweight bout, 205 pounders, Bogdan Guskov, who comes over from Uzbekistan, 14 and two overall, form on his last five, nice record on paper. 30 years old, about to be 31 in one month. Six foot three, slightly taller here on paper than Vulcan Otismere, and he trains out of Gore MMA. As for Vulcan, no time. Otismere, 18 and 7 overall, 2 and 3 in his last 5. Out of Switzerland, 33 years old, 11 months, so about to be 34. Eh, you know, not too old yet for a light heavyweight. Six foot two in height with a 75 inch reach, trains out of Black Zillions in the past, no longer Black Zillions, and Fight Move Academy. Okay. What say me of these two fighters? Prediction is Volkan Otismir by round one knockout. For Otismir, UFC veteran. Look at his tapology. Like, well, he fought Daniel Cormier, he fought Yuri Pashachka, he fought Magomed Ankalaev, like Anthony Smith, like fought some dudes, right? at only 33 years old, which is shocking. He still has some time to do a move here, like make a move up the ladder, get a few wins. Who knows, right? Unfortunately, he's in the worst worst stretch of his career. He's in the midst of a of a rough patch. He's won three in his last four fights and has one finish in the last six years. If you go back a little further, you realize he's three and six in his last nine fights, three and six in the last nine. That's rough. That's rough. And he could be in danger of losing a contract, right? If he lost here, I mean, he's three three and seven in your last 10. Ouch. But in his defense, and I mean this with all due respect here, I'm not just saying this because I'm trying to make some excuse up here. He's been fighting some okay fighters, like good fighters. His last nine opponents are names like Anthony Smith and Paul Craig, Nikita Krylov, guys like Alexander Rakic, guys like Magomed Ankalaev and Yuri Pujoshka, Daniel Daniel Cormier. Can we give him a pass for some of these losses, Yuri and stuff? I I think so. He has a tendency of leaving his hands, though, low, and when Odesmir decides to go for it and go after his opponent and start chasing them down, his chin's so high. He's so susceptible to getting clipped by a counter. And it happened, actually. Krylov clipped the hell out of him several times. And at the point that it happened, I believe it was round one, Otismir is backing up Krylov. He's doing some good things. And then, flop it His hands are just out here. He's too wild. For whatever reason, Odozmir does not fight very often either. He fights about once a year. The inactivity, I think, also hurts him. In round one, he comes out. He's a little bit rusty. Gets a little bit wild. It would help him to fight like twice a year. And nowadays, by the way, it's super common for guys to fight two, three times a year. So I'm not really sure why he's fighting once a year. Not too old, right? So I don't really get it. For Guskov, making his UFC debut. So again, we're fading the debutante. He won four consecutive round one knockouts before this opportunity. In total, 13 of his 14 wins do not require the judges. So 13 of 14 fights were into the distance. Question is simple. Will his finishing ability transfer over to the UFC? That's the only question I have here. He's been fighting out of MMA series promotion. I don't know what that is. It's probably not the UFC. (laughs) Historical evidence suggests that he will look very different in his debut than he did against these other guys in the regional scene. He's been fighting guys that are sub-500 level, that are journeyman fighters. Now, Odozmir is going to be a major step up for Guskov. So if you watch film on Guskov, and we watch film, he looks okay. Not bad. But just, like, shake your head for a second and say to yourself, Odozmir has stood in there with some guys, man. The names I mentioned before, those people didn't all finish him. Odazmir's gone toe to toe with some good fighters and he can bang, right? So I mean the market does favor Otismir here too. So it's not like Ozmir's being disrespected. I'm talking like Otismir needs me to back him up or something. But Odesmir will be a big step up in competition for Gozkov. That's the point. Now, until we see Ghostkoff actually get into the UFC, get himself a win against a high caliber fighter or just a caliber fighter of UFC, we gotta fade him. You know, it's it's uh it's a blind fade. I'm I'm fading him with like almost no rationale than the fact that he just hasn't fought good people. But I watched them on film. Like he was fighting people that were okay, and he was just okay fighter too. So let's see what he does against Otismir, and then from there we can kind of have a better gauge on what he's about. Otismere has more experience and has faced way better competition. The betting targets here. Fight does not go the full distance. Fight ends by knockout, either way. Otismere by knockout within the first two rounds. That kind of bet there, the first two round knockout, is available usually on DraftKings. Won't be out until probably Friday. Again, we'll go to the bet veteran here, though. Vulcan Otismere by knockout in round number one. That is our prediction. We move on to the next fight. Benoit Saint-Denis, minus 165 against Diago Moises, the UFC veteran at plus 140. A fight that, I mean, everyone can't wait to see. This guy, Benoit Saint-Denis, is box office. Matter of fact, I think he could probably headline some fight night cards and, you know, the apex. This guy is, uh, he's box office. His story is incredible. We'll discuss it more in a moment, but uh, Saint Denis got his hands full. Thiago Moises is not somebody to overlook by any means. We do like the Frenchman, though. Saint Denis by submission in round number three. We see ourselves getting in, or we see them getting—not them, yeah, ourselves. We see them getting into a, a pretty drawn-out, tough fight. Both guys having moments, and then Saint Denis, you know, finding maybe a, a little bit of a fatigue. Thiago Moises late. Uh, Moises has been submitted before, uh, but again, Moises is also a pff, elite, elite grappler. World-class, top-level grappler. We'll talk about that in a second as well. But give me Benoit Saint-Denis by submission in round three. That is my prediction. A lightweight bout, 155-pounders. After their details, Benoit Saint-Denis goes by the God of War, 11-1 and one overall, four-one in his last five. He's from Paris, France, 27 years old. 27. This guy feels older. He's had a lifetime of experience. We'll talk about that in a second. But this guy is only 27 and got a late start in martial arts. You, you couldn't tell. Um, Five-foot-eleven. 73 inch reach out of Warren Team Elite. As for Thiago Moises, the Brazilian, he's 17 and 6 overall, 3-2 in his last five. Twenty-eight years old. He's also a guy who I, I, I think of him as being older. I always get him confused with um oh, there's another Brazilian, but he's not that other guy. He's still very young. Twenty eight years old, five foot nine, seventy and a half inch reach. So giving up a few inches in reach, one or two inches in height, and trees out of American top team. One of the best gyms in the planet for mixed martial arts. Okay, as for our breakdown here, Saint Denis. Might be an actual real life like uh, superhero. This guy's story is incredible. We've all heard about the military stuff, but let me highlight this: he was like a commando in the French military, aka like Navy SEAL type of stuff, high level. Finishes the military service, kind of a bit of a hero. Gets picks up the mixed martial arts glove. Says, "You know, I'm gonna get into this fighting thing." Picks it up in his twenties, like no foundation in wrestling and combat sports, nothing karate, whatever. Gets a late start. Now the dude's eleven and one. OK, his only loss was to Zaleski, a UFC fighter. He held his own with everyone he fought. He's a finishing machine. And though St. Denis is known for his chin and his brawling, he's a very good grappler. Averages 3.80 takedowns per fight. Compare that to 1.53 for Moises, who's a very good grappler in his own right, right? St. Denis also defends takedowns at a higher rate, I think 80% takedown defense for St. Denis, like 63% for Moises, I think that St. Denis is going to be also super jacked up to be in front of the people, his country. He's a patriot, military, all that stuff, man. Um, That crowd's going to be jacked up for him, and he's going to fight his ass off. I guarantee you this. Win or lose, he's putting on a damn show. It's going to be awesome. And God bless this guy, Benoit St. Denis. He's cut from the same type of mold as the Korean zombie. Be ready for a good show. Now, as for Moises, World-class jiu-jitsu practitioner. Nasty submission attack. When the fight hits the mat, St. Denis, Denis, whatever you want to pronounce his name, needs to be like walking on eggshells. Needs to be careful. Seven of his 17 wins for Moises have been by submission. He got sliced up by Alvarez in 2021. After that fight, though, rebounded very nicely, has back-to-back submission wins by rear naked. Against average fighters, Moises is okay. Like Bobby Green, Jagos, those kind of guys. He knows his business. When he gets into the ring against guys like Makachev, Darius, Ismagulov, that's where he has some problems. The, the next level up, the you know, the elite guys. Saint Denis is not an elite fighter yet, but he's trending in that direction. So I feel like even though again, Moises is, is plenty good enough here to give this a good fight, I think the arrow is a little more up here on St. Denis than it is for Moises. That's just my humble opinion. And again, if we're talking about splitting hairs, where are we at again? We're in Frances. You know, we're in French. Frenchy, Frenchy land. They both earned rear naked chokes in their last fight. And they both have finishing skills. I think we don't go to decision here. I think we don't see any splits here. I think we see a finish at some point. The only person to ever submit Moises, by the way, was a guy by the name of Islam Makachev. May I have heard of him? Can Saint-Denis be the second guy to do it? Saint-Denis has never been finished before, while Moises has been finished twice. Moises got knocked out and sliced up by... Alvarez, the Spanish fighter, 2000, 2021 and then also got finished by Islam makachev But look, you could say the Islam Makhachev submission is like whatever, dude. It's makachev current champion the whole nine. So, but we'll see what happens here. Going to be a great fight either way. Uh, again, you can count on Benoit Saint-Denis to put on a show. He'll put on a show. We move on. Back to the females, a third female fight on this card, which is kind of cool. I mean, Represent the ladies here, and a French female fighter at that. Well, actually, matter of fact, all the female fighters tonight have a French flag by their name, even though in the case of Zara Farn, um, she, again, is from... Well, even for... I don't know. Listen, whatever. They all have French flags by their name. But uh, we're up to Manon Firat versus Rose Yunus. And I tell you what, we could talk about this fight for days, for hours. We'll keep it short, though, and sweet and get right to the point. So flyweight bout, 125 pounders. Of course, we all know Rose Yunus. Former UFC champion had uh, some amazing fights with the likes of Zali Wang, Wang Zali. I'm sorry. So, our decision here is to go with Man and Friot. by decision. That's our pick. We like Man and Friot. by decision. We're probably not alone. I'm thinking the market agrees with us at minus 185 for Furat, plus 155 for Rose. Most people I've talked to have said they like Furat here too. Again, talking about the arrow being up on one fighter and the other arrow, other fighter kind of like being middling at, in terms of this part of their career. That's what we got here. Manifirat, you can see the potential. She's going upwards. Rose, we don't know. We're like in a holding pattern here in terms of where we're going with her career. We'll talk more about that in a second. So give me Manifirat by decision as the pick. They're side by sides. Manifirat, who goes by the Beast, 10-1 and 1 overall. 5-0 in her last five fights out of Nice, France. So she, again, will be home. 33. That's like, you blows your mind, right? 33, she's older than Rose. It's like, yeah, Rose already had a whole full damn career, belting in the whole nine. But uh, for Anna Furat, 33 years old, kickboxing background, right? She was a kickboxer for years before she moved over to mixed martial arts. Anyway, 5'7 for Firat, 5 5'5 for Rose Namunis. Slight reach advantage there for Firat, and Firat's out of boxing squad. For Rose Thug Namunis, who's, by the way, that nickname Thug, she might want to drop that nickname because there's nothing thuggery about the way she fights anymore. She used to be like that, but not anymore. Maybe she could go by Rose Thug. Uh, kitty cat namunas or rose teddy bear Namunis. i don't know i'm being funny here but 11 and 5 for two in to last 5 she's a dog here based out of arvada colorado 31 years old 5 foot 5 in height <clears throat> 65 inch reach out of genesis training academy and of course she's trained by her fiance her husband and uh oh, that's a whole other can of worms we'll leave that one alone for for today but uh all right so if you're up by decision is the pick now with all due respect i, I see that like uh, the way that um Will Farrell said that one movie, like, with all due respect, absolutely, 100%, cannot get behind Rose right now. Now, maybe Rose in a year from now, she's still young, maybe Rose in six months from now, I don't know. Never say never, but at this moment in her career, absolutely not, okay? After her last performance where she did not engage with Esparza, she just wouldn't do it. It was just—it was hard to describe. But you'd have to go back and watch. It's painful. It's like watching paint dry. It was five rounds of it. It was hard to figure out who won. They both lost. They—they they should have both left the octagon that night with an L, and the UFC should just stepped in and taken the the belt back. <laughs> um, even more concerning, though, was the post-fight commentary from—not commentary—the fo- post-fight comments, the opinion of Rose on how this fight went, her defensiveness when asked by reporters. In a very respectful way, like, "Hey, kind of what, what happened out there?" Rose's position was, "Hey, look, I don't have to get beat up every fight. I, I'm I'm out here as a fighter. I can win fights and technique. Um, I don't have to always get myself bladed up and, and win that way. There, th- that makes good sense. But we're talking about this is the extreme. Like there was nothing going on. And if you watch back some film of that fight, it's just hard to explain it. Rose is disengaging every single time. There's a chance for an engagement." There is no desire to fight. That's not the person who had the name Rose Thug Namunas, not the person who who beat Wiley Zhang twice, not the person who had the belt before. That person seems to be gone. I don't know what happened there. And if you know a little bit about her background, I guess she, she dealt with some physical abuse, sexual abuse, I guess, at some point in her early part of her life. She is now involved with, with, with a man who, it seems like a solid relationship, but there's questions there about how that relationship may have started and how young she was. When that relationship may have started, she shaved her head a few years ago as like, oh, you know, people go through changes, you know, whatever. But it seems like there's a bit of a crisis, crisis, like midlife, midlife crisis. We're having issues. Walking into the cage and chanting, I'm the best. I'm the best. I've, I've gone from the point of thinking, like, it doesn't matter. It's just her thing to like, oh, it's kind of weird, too. Now I've actually gone full circle and said, yeah, it is weird. It's fully weird. You know what it is? It's this. I'm trying to verbalize my insecurity because I ain't the best. If you walk into the octagon verbally saying out loud, "I'm the best. I'm the best," like like 50 million times the way she does, and then you go and perform the way she did against Carlos Sparza, I am now calling complete and utter, complete and utter, like that is that's her verbalizing her insecurity. That's all that was. So if she does it again this weekend, when, no, I'm the best. But, like That's just her, in- that's her insecurity. That's her just trying to compensate for, I know I'm not the best. I know I'm not ready to fight, but I'm going to do all this antics. I'm going to do all this stuff. I'm, gonna, oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. My man, if you saw that fight after all that huffing, I mean, she did more work walking into the octagon with saying I'm the best than she did in the five rounds against Carlos Barza. So what's all this I'm the best about? I'm the best at what? I'm the best at running around the cage and not fighting. I'm the best at doing a post fight interview and telling you people that, oh, I don't, I don't have to get beat up all the time. I, you know, I'm, I'm, am I'm a fighter, but you know, so yeah. I, listen, I have tons of issues with Rose. I mean, it's right now from a fighting standpoint, not personal. God bless her. Seems to be happy outside the octagon. Good for. Her. She's already been a champion. She'll walk away the rest of her life. And you know, I was, I was once a UFC bell holder. No one could take that from her. No one could take that from her. I'm not trying to take any respect from her, but I'm calling what we have now. What she is now, her performance against Carlos Barza will go down as one of the worst fights in the history of fights. Every type of fighting, cockfighting, boxing, karate, anything, judo, you name it. That is one of the worst championship fights you could ever see in history. And it comes to, and in terms of MMA, it might be the worst one ever. It might be one of the worst ones ever. Five rounds, refusing to fight. Simply put, I'll put a bow on this. You cannot get behind Rose at this point in her career. Let's see what happens this weekend. Shows up, puts on a good performance. Even if she loses, but puts on a good performance, or like you see coming out a little bit of the rose from old, and she's to like, kind of get back in her rhythm. Okay. Next fight then, put some money behind her. At right now? Hell no. As for Furat, after dropping her first pro fight to leave McCourt about five years ago, 2018, she hasn't lost a fight since then. She's in search of her 11th win in a row, off to a 5-0 start in the UFC. Her forward pressure and high output, awesome. Almost double the amount of output as Rose. And her key to winning this fight is just simply having that volume, being in the face of Rose, who we know has an issue with throwing punches right now. I, I don't even know how to explain. It. They both have a they both have a little over a takedown and a half per fight. The old Rose got takedowns, not this one. <laughs> if there's one critique that we have of Fiorato, it's her recent lack of finishes. A lot of her fights recently, last three fights, have all gone to decision. Now, without question, Rose has the experience advantage. There's no like when it comes to the experience with the schedule, who's fought type for fighters, who was a former champion. Rose, Rose, Rose. But all that said, I think that Rose's best days are in the rear mirror. I think she's shot mentally. Um, I think this whole thing of chanting, I'm the best, I'm the best. I mean, it's just it's just it's just it's, just, it's a mirage. It's it's smoke and mirrors. Like, I'm the best, I'm the best, I'm the best. Like, no, honey. I think you know in your heart of hearts that you're not only not the best. You're just about to fade out the sport here. We're going to watch her fight maybe three, four, three, three more fights maybe over the next two, three years, whatever, and then she's done. She will not want to fight no more. I think she doesn't want to fight no more. That's just my humble opinion. So Fiorata, a rising prospect on a hot streak, whereas Rose is right now, like we said before, at the beginning of this breakdown, she's in a bit of a holding pattern. I don't want to say she's declining. She's too young to say that. I don't know what you can call the last fight. I don't know. Mental break. Like when you're when you're a writer, and you get writer's block. She had fighter's block, <laughs> but I mean, more concerning. Not only does she look to be declining physically by not putting herself out there, and not, I think, mentally. Mentally, she's breaking down. That's even more of an issue. So, betting spots here over one point five rounds. Fight starts round number three. If you're out by decision, and we'll sprinkle the split decision props as well because it's a female fight. Who the hell knows? By the way, Rose is coming off of back to back split decisions. <laughs> Let me see another one. And here we are, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all kinds. We are up to the main event of the evening. Cyril Ghosn, minus 165 against Sergey Spivak at plus 140. And, of course, Mr. Ghosn is representing the lovely country of France. And the Moldovan, Sergey Spivak, a.k.a. Russian. They speak Russian down in Moldova. Sergey Spivak, he's Russian. His wife's Russian. He speaks Russian. He's Russian. No. He's Moldovan, but he does obviously speak some Russian. His corner speaks Russian to him during fights. Before I go any further, I'll tell you that I do like Cyril Ghosn to win the fight. I like Ghosn here to win by decision. It is a five-round fight. Um, I am torn on that, though. I could see Ghosn getting a a finish of some kind. I could see Ghosn getting a knockout. I can see Spivak getting a submission. (laughs) A lot of stuff's on the table here. We'll talk about it, though. So there there are details, though. Cyril Ghosn, 11-2 overall, 3-2 in his last five. He's out of France, 33 years old, super young for heavyweight, 28 for Spivak, both babies in the heavyweight division. For foot 6'4 in height, with an 81-inch reach, built like an NFL tight end. He's out of MMA Factory. Of course, MMA Factory being the former gym of Francis Ngannou, and him and Ngannou, who, I don't know, used to be former teammates, according to some... Records, according to Ganu, he's like he was not my teammate. I like Mingano. That's one of the weirdest things about him is that whole gripe with him and gun. I don't. I still don't understand it. For Sergey Spivak, the polar bear, very good nickname. You know, Russia, cold weather. Again, he's from Montenegro. Mon- Mon- he's from Mondeva, but you get the point. The polar bear, sixteen and three, four and one in his last five. Twenty-eight years old, super duper young for heavyweight. Six foot three, nice height, 78 inch reach, good finishing ability, good submissions, likes to grapple. Let's get to the breakdown notes here. So the line reflects how much faith the fans have lost in Cyril Ghosn. Let me tell you the story. And I kind of get it. And then I'm like, wait a second. Pump the brakes. This guy's like a physical freak. And I don't think he's got durability issues. Like getting submitted by John Jones, who may be one of the best of all time. Arguably, one of the best, like, Top two or three biggest martial art fighter ever UFC history. That's what we're talking about. It's the guy who submitted him. So and the other guy he lost to, Francis Ngannou, You know, so it's like he's getting a, a bad rap, I think. I think people have just kind of jumped off the train and they're forgetting he lost back-to-back fights to two of the best guys in the last you know century in the headweight division for UFC. So I'm giving him a pass a little bit on that stuff. And I'm saying that he's gonna rebound here and he's young. He's learned a few things. So but the line does reflect. The loss in confidence. First, he dropped the fight against Nganu, dropped the bag, dropped his interim title. Nganu was hurt, which was even like he should have won the fight, right? Nganu takes him down, wrestles him, holds him down. Then goes in there with John Jones back in the spring and submitted like in seconds of the first round. It was a terrible look for a fighter who already was carrying the tag of I'm soft. And, you know, sometimes people think I'm too much of a technician and I want to get too beat up. That was already the narrative on him. And then he goes out there against John Jones and just gets choked out and taps like right away. So he's trying to prove something. God knows that the, the word out there is you're soft, dude. But here's the thing, though. Regardless of the reputation about him maybe being soft and he's from France or whatever else, this dude is a monster. If he kicks you with one of the kicks in the wrong spot of your body, you're going down. His cardio is tremendous. Outputs through the roof for a heavyweight. Footwork is elite. The only way he loses this fight, this is my humble opinion, the only way is if he comes in not prepared, is if somehow he overlooks Spivak and just maybe gets caught up in the glitz of, oh, I'm going to be at home in the fronts and people love me in France and I'm going to be eating all this great food and wine. And, and he gets distracted by this, which he's happened to before. He said it happened to him before, not in France, but just in general with big fights. So if he comes in not prepared, we could see a bit of an upset, not a big upset, right? Plus 4, 140 for Sergey Spivak. But if he comes in prepared at home, his venue, with an eager eager young man looking to prove a point and change the narrative here, my man's 33 years old, approaching his prime athletic years, prime fighting years, He's going to be around for a minute. He's going to hold the belt again at some point. John Jones will be gone. This guy will still be fighting. The arrow is still like this. It's still going up on gone. So I'm here to tell you, don't let these recent two losses change your opinion entirely this guy. He's a good fighter. The market has faded him, and you see now at minus 165, he should be, in my opinion, minus 265. That's how much, maybe minus 300 even. He's much better than Speedback. All right, now as for Speedback a win for him in this fight here will catapult this dude right into that top like four or five contenders who's going to fight John Jones next and blah 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 you know the Aspinals you know these guys up there so that'll put him right up in that group he's been really hot lately he's won six of his last seven fights in search of his fourth win in a row had a win over Derek Lewis now that's the biggest win of his career has a win over Augusta Sakai and Greg Hardy that's his last um, his last three finishes Derek Lewis, Augustus Sakai, and Greg Hardy. Now, by far, again, Lewis is the biggest win of his career. We just saw Lewis fight recently. And we know you know Lewis is uh very capable. Notably, though, Gon also fought Lewis too, and Ghan knocked out Lewis. So it's not like Lewis, you know, got finished by Spivak and then Ghan fought Lewis and couldn't take care of him. You know, Ghan knocked his ass out too. Now, outside of Spivak's submission win over Lewis, triangles, submission choke, whatever. Outside of that, who has he beaten? You know what I mean? Not to mention, Lewis is terrible on the ground, right? Lewis has no ground game. So Spivak has a submission over Lewis on the ground. Okay, whatever. But who else has he beaten? So let's let's talk about it. Here's the people that Spivak has wins over in the UFC. Carlos Felipe, Ty Tuavasa, Jared Vandera, Alexei Olenek, Greg Hardy, Augusto Sakai. So let's talk about these guys. So Augusto Sakai has been on a massive L streak. Just got a win recently, barely to save his life. He's hanging on. By the very, you know, very little, little bit. He's hanging by a thread to his UFC contract. Vandera, it's Jared Vandera. Uh, I need I say a lot more. Alexia Lennox was like 40 something. He's now retired. When they fought, he was 40 something. He was already watched. He's gone. Greg Hardy, he's gone. Carlos Felipe, he's gone. Tied to Avassa, the jury is still out on him. He had a hot moment there for a second, and then he got murdered. Cold clocked, destroyed. He's in the process of hitting the reset button. So these people he beat outside of Derek Lewis, who I see Derek Lewis has kind of got a little resurgence now, right? He was looking a little rough there, but he took down Derek Lewis and submitted him, blah blah blah. Okay. But then other than that, man, I say that he has had guys that are either been cut or retired. Not much competition. In summary, Speedbuck hasn't proven to me that he can hang with the elite guys. Like he, I don't know if he can hang with a guy like Tom Aspinall or Cyril, or Cyril Gan, or Francis Ninganu. I know Cyril Gan can hang with Ninganu. I know Cyril Ghosn can hang with guys like Aspinall. I know he can do that. He's proven that with the people he's faced already. So, you know, Spivak's last three defeats, by the way, the last three people that lost, that, that beat Spivak, it was Tom Aspinall, Marcin Tybura, and Walt Harris. Now, the Walt Harris was a while ago, and Marcin was a little bit ago, too. Aspinall was more recent. But I'm not saying that for example, that I I believe that Cyril Gaon is way better than Aspinall, but they're in that same category, and I think I think Gan is better than Aspinall. I think Gaon will go in here and beat Sergey because he's a better fighter. The keys to victory for Spivak is this: it's very very simple. He needs to get a takedown rounds one or two. He needs to have position control. Keep down Gaon when he gets him down. Now, best case scenario for Spivak: best case scenario. Submission. He's got multiple submissions as a heavyweight. He is effective on the ground, triangle chokes, and whatever else. But, you know, Gon is a physical specimen. Um, I guess Gon did get submitted his last fight, though. He got submitted by John Jones. You know what I mean? If we're on the feet, though, if we're at kickboxing range for any period of time, Gon is going to terrorize this poor young man. He is going to terrorize Speedlock. The kicks to the body, head, combinations the footwork it's going to look like gone is just riding a bike taking a stroll and kicking the shit out of this guy so at range spivak has no chance there he's got to be in close he's got to make it dirty he's got to turn into a grappling match and uh that's his key to victory now betting spots here the fight starts round number two i do see i do see us going full five minutes does not go the full distance gone by a knockout or spivak by submission that's a DraftKings play. So, Gone by Knockout or Spivak by Submission. The line is not out yet, but when it does come out, I'm going to imagine that'll be priced around like whatever. Let's say minus 170 ish, minus 125 in that range. So, Gone by Knockout or Spivak by Submission. Maybe even better than that. I don't know. Spivak does have, again, multiple submissions, and Gone was submitted in his last fight. So, if you're looking to maybe sprinkle a, a prop there, maybe like um, just Spivak round one or round two submission could be quite juicy when it comes out. And that's your breakdown, full card breakdown for UFC Paris, UFC Fight Night, Gan versus Spivak. I'll give you a summary of our picks here as part of our Swift Picks segment and then give you some reminders before I let you guys out of here. Here are our Swift Picks for UFC Fight Night, Cyril Gan versus Sergey Spivak. Starting with the first fight of the premium card, we like Fareed Bashra by Decision. Anj Lusa by Decision. Nora Cornelli by Decision. Zara Ferrandos Santos by Decision. Morgan Sharir by decision up to the main car. We like Callan Lorin to win by round two, knockout Vulcan Oduzmir by round one, knockout Benoit Saint Denis by round three, submission men and by decision. And for the main event, we like Cyril gone to win by round three, knockout over Sergei Spivak. All right, guys, just some reminders before I let you go, please. If you haven't done so already like, and subscribe to get more of our content and support we're doing over here. We have a pretty cool snazzy newsletter. That link is down below in our description here. Our newsletter covers mixed martial arts content pfl ufc some bellator we did a nice write-up last weekend for road to ufc which was done by christian thank you christian for helping us with that so a nice newsletter check it out it's free and there's also a paid version as well we have a tapology group id number 1269 join that group it's free we give out weekly prizes cash prizes and other prizes as well it's free to join free to sign up free to play free 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 join our tapology group Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on TikTok. The more places you can follow us, the better. It's a way for us to grow our channel and support what we're doing here. If you like our content and you like what we're doing, that's the ways you can help us. You don't have to donate money. Give us money. You don't have to subscribe to anything and pay anything. But by, by subscribing to our stuff, sharing our content, leaving comments even, suggestions, those are all ways you could help us out. So, Alright guys, so UFC Perry, 12 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. I will be watching. Good luck, guys. I'll see you guys soon. Deuces.